From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Welcome to Travel First with Chris Coleman and Alex First. You are on Travel First. My name is Alex First, and each week we have a look at the places that you and I would like to visit, and hopefully we've been there so we can talk to you knowledgeably about it. Joining me, as usual, is Chris Coleman. G'day, Chris. Greetings to you, Alex. Today you are taking us to a city that many people will know, even if they haven't been there. I certainly hope so from the sound of music. That has given it away. Salzburg, absolutely beautiful part of Austria. I was speaking with you last week about Prague, and mentioned that we caught a taxi to the Prague Central Railway Station and then early afternoon we boarded a train, a Ural train for Salzburg. One change along the way at Linz and basically, yeah, we were on our way. Very, very comfortable way of travelling. Have you done much rail travel? First question, Chris. I did a lot of rail travel in Japan. I've done a bit of rail travel in Australia but not a lot in Europe. Well, Rail Europe, I've said Eurail, not to be confused with Rail Europe. If you go to raileurope.com.au, Rail Europe is the world's number one distributor of rail tickets and passes. And it's got the best selection of European rail products across no less than 30 countries, 25,000 destinations on more than 11,000 routes. So that gives you an idea of how prolific they are. And you've got a suite of products you can buy point to point so you can go from arguably Prague to Linz or Prague to Salzburg or whatever it may be you can get country passes for each country so you can take a European destination as being a sole destination you can get two country passes you can get Eurail select passes for any four adjoining countries and Eurail global passes for travel around all of Europe and more so that that's the sort of choice that you have. And there's more choice than ever before. Now, I didn't realise this, but Australia happens to be Rail Europe's top-selling country for rail tickets. Really? Yeah, which I, I think we, we're punching above our weight again, Chris. What, 24 million people? <laughs> it's good. It's fantastic. Well, um, we, do it in, we do it in sport, don't we? <laughs> I reckon we do. I mean, you and I love our sport and, you know, we, we, we'd we like to think we do anyway. We've been regularly, various Australian cities have been voted the world's most livable. So, again, punching above our weight. Hey, that's what Australians do well. Now, some of the most popular rail passes and tickets for Australians include the Eurostar, which you probably would have heard of, and services between Spain, France, Switzerland, Italy and Germany. And... Well, apparently more and more travellers are catching onto the city night lines, which are the overnight trains. 
Why do you reckon people are doing that, Chris? It's because we're cheap, Alex. It means you Correct. don't have to spend a night in a hotel. You spend it on yes, a train instead. Exactly, yes. We, we did it in Japan last year. I'll digress for a moment. We did it in Japan last year, and when we get around to talking about Japan, we'll talk about it a bit more. Um, there are very few overnight trains left in Japan these days because the the fast rail is so efficient. Uh, they so, don't, they so don't... darn quick too, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't the most comfortable of experiences. I trust in Europe they do it a bit better. Oh, look, it was terrific. Yeah, we, we, we did a lot and, and we really enjoyed every part of the experiences that we had. I mean, some of the places like in Switzerland, wow. I mean, just snow on all around you and through the mountains. Uh, uh, I was just in awe of what I was seeing. But th there are lots of benefits to travelling by train, and there's no doubt about it, lots of benefits to, to get a Eurail pass. There's no check-in queues. You can rock up sort of, I don't know, 12, 15 minutes before the train departs, unless it's the Eurostar, which requires a little bit more time. So you don't have to have that often unwieldy queue that you, you get at, at some airport, shall we say. And you go city centre to city centre, meaning there's not the expensive cab charges and, and the traffic that you have to sort of meander through. And I found the seating really comfortable, extremely spacious and lots of leg room. So that, that, was, that to me is a big benefit because at times, I don't know how often you've travelled economy recently, even within Australia. I'm fortunate that I'm a little fella. But it's like those theatre seats where your knees are up against the seat in front of you at times uh, because they try and squeeze more and more people in. That, that, that sort of has been my experience on a few domestic flights of late. It certainly wasn't my experience on the train. So you can, you can spread out a little bit. And so very comfortable. There, there was also one of the things that I was using power a lot because I was using my phone while I was in Europe on, on a regular basis. Oh, and trains are so good for this. Oh, Charging the electronic devices, yeah, absolutely terrific. And of course, you can work or read. I mean, there were, I, I did a lot of my because I took notes. Of course, that's why I'm able to remember some of the things that I did. But I, I was able to make notes on the train. Uh, obviously, I I was struck. I was struggling when we had things to see because I was not prepared to take notes when I should be looking out the window. Uh, but there, there was some some sections and uh, whatever when when it was appropriate. So I was able to sort of make notes on my laptop, and that was that was easy. The other thing is that I, I don't. There, there's no baggage limit. You know how when you've got baggage limits on on planes, uh, that means you can shop till you drop if you like. But one thing, I don't think it's advisable to bring on too much because you, you have to then haul it around once you get to your destination. So even though there's a benefit in having no bag, baggage limits, what we ended up doing is we sent stuff back to Australia from various ports because on an eight-week trip, you just sort of collect stuff, don't you? And we went through sort of hot and cold climates, which meant that we didn't need our summer gear when we were in winter, which kind of makes sense. And then when you buy sort of presents or things that you want to put around the house, you can also send it back. One one suggestion there, though, Chris, mm -hmm. there are different, there are significantly different prices depending upon which country you are in, in terms of the cost of postage. So you may not have a choice because if you've got too much luggage, you're going to be slugged on an airline or on, you know, not on a train but on an airline and therefore it may be still cheaper to send it back to Australia from wherever you are 
But if you know you're going to various destinations, you can check it out online, find out some pricing. In, in most instances, you get a, a pretty good idea uh, online as to how much it's going to cost. So it can make quite a significant difference if you're sending back 20 kilos. Uh, what, I, what I generally found is it was cheaper to send back more than to send back less. That, that's just a general rule. So, in other words... You uh, mean cheaper per kilo? Per kilo. Yeah. Economies of scale, yeah. Mm. Um, so just, just something to bear in mind. I think we, we sent back from Hong Kong and from a couple of European cities. Uh, that, that's my recollection, and it was certainly worth doing that. Uh, and the other thing to watch out for, there are specific limits in terms of size. of, And every country is different, but the, the not only the weight, but the structure or the, the configuration of what you send back and, and how you send it back. Some countries don't care. You can stick it in a suitcase and, and put a piece of paper on the front of it and that's it. Others insist on it being a particular box of a size X by Y, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing is when you're travelling by train, I've mentioned before, the stunning scenery in Europe, absolutely splendid. The other thing is there's a lot of flexibility with the passes that I talked about. You can go wherever, whenever. And there are high-speed services as well. You spoke about Japan, but there are also high-speed services in Europe as well. So often you find that you can you can basically go by train in the same amount of time as it takes you to fly. Or I mean, and you've got no traffic and no queues and all the other benefits we've spoken about. If you've got a fast train service up to about 400 kilometres... Mm-hmm. Once you factor in getting to the airport, check-in time, waiting for luggage at the other end, and and getting from the airport at the other end, it, I, I've had a look around, and generally, if there's a fast train available, about 400 k's is about where it is about the break-even point. Is that right? Good. I, I'm pleased you've done that homework. I, I I also, for example, if you go Paris London, you know the the Channel Tunnel and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, really convenient. I, I found that a really good thing to do. The the other thing is that tickets are especially cheap when you buy them in advance. And to give you some idea, you can save up to 70% off the regular price, which I think is a, a pretty strong saving. You know, that, that's that's not what you're going to get every day when you buy your, your rail passes through rideeurope.com.au. It, it's also environmentally friendly and convenient for day trips to neighbouring towns. I did this quite a bit. I mean, um, if you go to wine regions as well, it's not a bad idea. So the, the other thing is... <laughs> but you, you You're like, right. You're absolutely you correct. You like your reds, don't you? So, you know, why not do it by train? And you're not going to risk uh, getting in a car and, yeah, being being uh, breathalysed and, and failing the breath test. The, the overnight travel we've already spoken about... And you can go to some off-the-beaten-track places as well. Apparently, there's something like uh, 240,000 kilometres of track in, in Europe. So it, it rail reaches most corners of Europe that, that are even not accessible by road. So, yeah, that's how versatile rail is. And you, what we found is you can be – you can keep to yourself, my wife and I, or you can have a chat with people, especially when they hear the Australian accent. It's usually – usually quite endearing, oh, you've come all this way, right? You know, it's taken you a long time to get here and and, and a conversation ensues. So I thought that was great. And the other thing is you can eat on board, right? The dining services are very, very good. So you can have a meal and and enjoy yourself in that regard. So, look, if I can give you a few tips, 
please book in advance because you're going to save the most money that way. In terms of time frame, probably three months, something like that. Look out for constant deals on the website, which I've mentioned a few times and I'll mention again now, raileurope.com.au. Rail Rail and determine what you want to do. I mean, you, you need a plan so you, you can determine if point-to-point -point tickets are better than a rail pass or whether a global rail pass is better than a four-country rail pass or whatever it may be. So do a bit of research and, you know, you can do that online. And the other thing is you can go through Twitter or Pinterest or Facebook, which Rail Europe uh, has as well. So that's rather important. You can go to social media pages. Anyway, immediately outside the Central Railway Station in Salzburg, we caught a, after we'd sort of arrived there by train, we caught a bus to our hotel, which is the, which was the Star in Salzburg Zentrum, Star in Salzburg Zentrum. We were given a comfortable room with a balcony on the top floor, which was the fourth floor. Oh, very nice. Which was very nice. It, look, it's interesting because I found it very pleasant. It was billed as a three-star property. Definitely, again, here's that term, punches above its weight because facilities are, are very modern and stylish. We noticed a sign out the front when we arrived. You can get a room for one person for 69 euros. Now, in rough terms, it's about one and a half to the dollar, so or one and a half uh, dollars to the euro. So that would be around just over the hundred dollar mark, 105, 110 Australian dollars, which I think is excellent value. I mean, we're talking about one of the great places in the world. This is Salzburg. And for two people, it was 89 euros. Now, this was in winter, right? So 89, say, say that's 90 plus another 100 and plus 45. That's about 135, 140 bucks. That's not a bad a, deal. I think that's really, really good. And I mean, literally across the road, there was a Chinese restaurant. We arrived at night. We just sort of rocked in there and we had a quick meal. Uh, in, I thought it was interesting. We, we arrive in Salzburg and we have a Chinese meal. <laughs> there, there we go. Why not? So I had Italian in, Jap in Japan. That's all right. Very good, yeah. I, well, yeah, my wife had beef and vegetable dish and I had a chicken and sweet corn soup, some steamed rice, and uh, we were set for the night. Now, Sometimes you can – I'll interrupt here. Sometimes you just need that little bit of home comfort or something that's a bit more familiar too, don't you? Yeah, well, I mean, especially when you've sort of travelled through the day and, and you you know, it's night and you, you don't know a city, right? So it's, it's dark and it's 9.30 at night. You don't want to sort of take necessarily a risk at that time. And I just love the fact that uh, – mind you, it – we, we had to – it was snowing, so it was very nice. And uh, all the more reason, though, that you don't want to go uh, at great distances at that time of the night. So it was wonderful. The next morning, we, we had breakfast in the Star Inn, and we were met by a tour guide called Gunther. Of course his name of was Gunther. Of course his name was Gunther, yes. <laughs> yes. Organised for us very nicely by Salzburg Tourism, and you can check them out as well. Now – Salzburg dates back to the year 696, I kid you not. That's a long time. It does. Now, you would probably, if I say it is Salzburg, what does the name mean? Well, hey, Alex. Means, yes. What does the name Salzburg mean? Thank you so much for asking, Chris. Salt Castle. There you go. And it was the centre of the lucrative salt trade. That's obviously the reason it was named after it. And 50% of the income was derived from salt in the Middle Ages. The rest was drawn from gold and silver mines. In fact, it had the biggest gold reserves in Europe. 
not bad. Good claim to fame. They, they did well to get salt and gold and silver. Correct. And textiles and coffees and tea and wine and sweets. And in the best of times, they mined, when we go back to gold, more than 800 kilograms of gold each and every year. It is a very nice place to visit. And I say that because it has a population of about 150,000 people and half a million live in the region. So Salzburg itself, 150,000, and then half a million in the region. We went to the majestic Salzburg Cathedral, which was built over 30 years, a period of 30 years, and consecrated in 1628. Here we go again with the centuries-old tradition. Well, the city does date back to 696, so that's hundreds and hundreds of years. It is the or was the first Baroque building north of the Alps, the Salzburg Cathedral. And to this day, 10,000 people can pray there at a time. That makes it a pretty damn big cathedral. It would be a long wait for communion. <laughs> it would be, yes. And I, I shouldn't use the word damn when I'm no, talking You shouldn't. That. You're going straight no, to hell I, for that I'm one, terrible. Right. Sorry, folks. Do forgive me. Uh, yes. Does one do what does one do? A number of Hail Marys at that point? Something yes. Like that. Yeah. Or we'll just or we'll just meet you in hell later. It's okay. Thank you, thank you. Yes. Uh, Salzburg Cathedral is the main church for the Archbishop of the region, who is responsible for half of Austria. So yes, quite a bit for the Archbishop to do. I reckon a visit of around about a half an hour should see you through the Salzburg Cathedral. Our next stop was to a panorama painting of Salzburg. I, I kid you not, it took three years to create this panorama painting. It was finished in 1828 by the artist Johann Michael Sattler. And he did so with the help of two other artists, one who painted the figures or the people and the other the trees and the grass. I mean, it is a massive panorama. How do you get a whole city to stand still for three years while you're painting it? it you are a very clever man, Chris. <laughs> the painting is in the round. and It's nearly half a metre high and two and a half metres round. So it's a big, big, big painting. That's why three artists needed to create it. And, and it was effectively, this is what I like about it, the first marketing of the city of Salzburg. Because upon its completion, the artist Johann Michael Sattler travelled throughout Europe with this painting so that he could show people what Salzburg was like via his panorama. And, it, by the way, it was restored at the start of the, the century. That, that was basically this century. Mm -hmm. it, it only takes you about a quarter of an hour. That's all that really is needed to take a look at his artistry and that of his son. His son painted landscapes from around the world on his own travels, I might say, so he was an artist in his own right. And during our time with our guide, Gunther, I, and I, I'm just sort of going from one thing to another here, but my wife and I were particularly taken by the cemetery of St. Peter. You talk about going to hell. Well, this cemetery dates back to the beginning of Salzburg in 696. Hopefully this isn't going to hell, but it's going to heaven. Although the way it looks now is, is representative of the 17th century, this particular cemetery of St. Peter. It's the most picturesque cemetery that I have seen. Uh, absolutely extraordinary, contains a few hundred graves dotted around a meandering path. And, I i mean, it, it really is an attraction. The, the engravings on the plaques and the ironwork surrounding it give it a, a fairy tale imagery. That's the best thing, the best representation of it 
that I can think of. Mm -hmm. It's kind of uh, almost Tim Burton-esque in some respects, if you you know that sort of filmmaker. Look, at the Cemetery of St Peter, you can rent a grave, right? You don't buy one. You rent a grave for as little as 10 years, but you cannot buy one outright. And, again, a different way of doing things. And when your rent is up? Well, you're, that's when you go to hell. No, I'm, okay. <laughs> well, I, I suppose you then have to, have to make a decision about whether you want to rent it again, I'm presuming. Or, but, or those you've left behind make the decision for Well, yes, of course. Yeah. You're quite right. Yeah. <laughs> you, I'm not sure whether you can pre-buy. They, they do business by Ouija board. It's very, you, yeah, very slow. You know, by the way, of course, you can pre-buy in Australia. I'm presuming you can pre-buy around the world. I mean, that that way that they've got their money before you are in interred i'm just i'm just we're guessing at this point we're guessing at yes. this folks i've got no idea but it really is worth seeing please take a trip to the cemetery of st peter in salzburg and it began snowing heavily well it began snowing at midday virtually didn't let up for the next two days and it was quite heavy at times and you can imagine this brush of snow transform the city into a winter wonderland and i'm not just using that because it is a cliche it really was a splendid place to be when it was snowing we then took a 40 second trip up a very sharp gradient on what is called the funicular railway funiculi funicular exactly da, 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 which was built in 1892 and we built we, we basically took this quick trip to the Hohen Salzburg Fortress. Hohen translates as high. So the high Salzburg Fortress. Why not? And overlooking Salzburg, providing spectacular views of the city and its surrounds, the Hohen Salzburg Fortress dates back to the year 1077. And unlike so much of Europe, it has never been damaged by war. Gee, that's lucky. Yeah. And it's the, the largest fortress in Europe that wasn't damaged in conflict. So there you go, another claim to fame. And in war times, 400 people, including the Archbishop and his guards and their families, lived there in the Hohen Salzburg Fortress. It's not bad, 400 people in, in a sort of walled city. Uh, I think that's kind of nice. Hmm. Today, we only had time to absorb the breathtaking views or the day that we were there and take a peek inside the museum, which featured marionettes or puppets that day, which was the first day that we went up there, we decided we'd visit again the next day because we, we hadn't really sort of toured the museum. So it's it's not just one museum, it's museums, plural. And that includes the state rooms of the Archbishop with its rather distinct Gothic woodwork. And on the not only did we visit a second time, we were so taken by the Hohen-Salzburg Fortress, we went back for a third visit. And that we took an audio tour that gave us an insight into the fortress and its origins and the 17 archbishops that had influenced its construction. Now, this is unusual for you. You don't usually go back to places. And to go back no. a third time, you must have really been taken by it. Well, there was so much to see, Chris. And we, because we were sort of cramming in as much as we could in the short time that we were there, we were only in Salzburg for a few days, uh, we, we kept on missing bits. And I, I said to my wife, we, we've really got to, we've got to see these things. I mean... I have to talk knowledgeably. I don't just want to get a, a sort of glossy view. I want to 
really an in-depth view of, of what the fortress all, was all about. Also, the views from above, are just stunning. We, in terms of taking photographs, just brilliant. For anybody who likes their photography, this is a great place to do it. And we, we, we took this audio tour, uh, which I mentioned gave us a bit of an insight into the fortress. That was half hour, ended at the organ, which to this day chimes three times a day, just after 7 in the morning, 11 and then 6 o'clock but not just a regular chime. It makes a special sound like that of a bull. Hence, oh. Yes. Hence the organ is known as the shouting bull. Of there course. Why not? And, by the way, during that first morning in Salzburg, Gunther also took us through the old town, which is just as Salzburg was in the 19th century. And we walked by a number of squares and into what is and was then the main street in town. Today, it's got lots of fashion boutiques and souvenir shops. Then it was essentially a trading street. And if you look at the economy of Salzburg today, well, tourism is a, a large part of it. The fine arts, including classical music and trade. And you've got sort of textiles and food. And incidentally, you know, the, the, the team, the Red Bull team, the racing team, and, mm. you know, Red Bull drinks, etc the headquarters of Red Bull are in this region, in the Salzburg region. And we we had lunch that day, that first day, at a place called K&K Restaurant with a representative of Salzburg Tourism. And I had another splendid meal. I, I just felt like prawns, and I had king prawns. Oh, absolutely sensational. And my wife also had, had trout. So K&K Restaurant. Now... We then uh, we changed some some dollars and to Europe, which uh, you need to use in this part of the world. And in the afternoon, we went to what is known as the Dom Quartier or, or Quartier with a KV sound, Dom Quartier, which is a combination of different museums and galleries that have got artworks dating from the 16th to the 19th centuries. It took it does take a few hours to appreciate all that was on offer. The art gallery has three noteworthy paintings, among them Rembrandt's Old Woman Praying, which is said to be his mother, that dates from 1629 or 1630. Very small room, and this painting is there on its own, along with a detailed description. It might be a small painting, but it is certainly memorable. What I really liked about it as well, apart from looking at it, modern technology gives you an even more detailed glimpse, right? So... You, this is what art galleries today do. They they allow you sort of close bird's eye views of things. They they allow you to almost put a magnifying glass up to the painting. And there are a couple of other pieces of note. Uh, Jean Bruegel's 16th century village scene with figures and cows, small green and blue painting that I particularly liked. It just sort of took my fancy. And one by Rubens. 16th century allegory on Charles V as ruler of the world. He didn't have aspirations at all, did he, Charles V? No, so, none at all. You know, uh, so that, they were, that was a really nice afternoon. Uh, if you're into your art, Dom Quartier, these different museums and galleries. And that evening we walked to at the what's called the Marionette Theatre for a performance of Mozart opera's The Magic Flute unlike any that I had seen before, accompanied by marionettes, obviously because it's the marionette theatre. And, you know, it takes 10 years for the puppeteers to master their craft. There are surtitles, like you would see at the opera, 
in five languages on the walls of the historic theatre. I thought it was splendid. That's very clever. Yeah, a really great show too, by the way. I love The Magic Flute. Most entertaining, lasted a couple of hours, including interval, and you know, then we made our way back to the hotel. So that was really nice, and uh, it was a great way to end the first full day. I, I thought, wow, really special. I mean, you know, and then we went, you know, as I say, back to our hotel, and uh, that was nice, the, the star in Salzburg Zentrum. The next morning, because it was had been snowing and was continuing to snow, I went for a run in the snow. Chris, it was great. I mean, really, have you ever run in the snow? I, I'm, I'm not a runner, Alex. You know this. I'm a gym yeah. person. I'm an indoor exerciser. Well, it was just beautiful. You can literally see paradise unfolding in front of your, your eyes. I ran beside the river. It was oh, one of the great experiences of my life. And people might say, well, do you have tread, you know, like you have on the wheels of cars, you have the special sort of uh, metal, what, what do you call it, the, 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 the sort of the chains that you put on your cars. Do you have anything special on your runners? No, you do not. So you've got to be very careful not to slip and uh, hurt yourself. But, no, I didn't. I actually managed it. It was all fine and, yeah, it was good. I was. There were a few other, I was going to say, mad buggers out like me in the snow. Uh, you, you do need to wear gloves, though, folks, because the tips of your fingers become mighty, mighty cold. Anyway, at 9 o'clock that morning, we were picked up by the driver of a minivan that took us to meet up, well, with the original Sound of Music tour. That was fantastic. I, I want to ask about the Sound of Music tour uh, mm. before you get into it. The movie itself, is, is it popular? Is it known in, in oh. Salzburg? Do the locals get into it? Well, I didn't didn't hear anybody on the streets singing, but I, oh, okay. I, I didn't. But, yeah, it's no... I mean, Salzburg is noted for the Sound of Music tours. Absolutely. No question at all. And, I mean, this tour had been operating since 1967, two years after the movie released. And, and do you know how... This is my pop quiz question to you. How old do you think Julie Andrews was when she starred in Sound of Music? Uh, in her 20s? Very, very impressive. 29. And Christopher Plummer? Older. 35. <laughs> Do you like my nice non-specific specific answer? I, I think it was a very good answer. You're a politician. You should be standing... For, no, you shouldn't. I've Stay. been talking to far too many of them of late. Yeah, I was going to say. Well, the Grey's bus lines provided transport for the crew during the filming of Sound of Music, which was filmed over a period of... Go on. Has it a guess? The, 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 the film was filmed over a period of oh, uh, eight months. Eleven weeks only. That all? Mm, in Salzburg. The rest was shot in Hollywood. Ah, okay, gotcha. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Grey's Bus Lines. They were, now, they, and, and they were the ones who, yeah, provided the, the, the transport. Now, during the four-hour tour, which included three stops, we were shown the sights of many memorable scenes from the movie, some of which our tour guide, who was an Englishman called David, pointed out had been altered for dramatic effect from the actual story Remember, it's the, the the Von Trapp family upon which it was based. They actually altered the storyline just to give it extra drama. Bear in mind that it was originally a Broadway show that opened in 1959. And by the way, you and I do another podcast, which is called Movies, Movies First. First. And it's called Movies First because, surprise, surprise, we talk about movies first. Yes, indeed, folks. Uh, you, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out, but... After we talk about movies, we talk about shows. And 
if you want to tune in to our other podcast, Movies First, I am reviewing the new Sound of Music, which is sort of playing around Australia now. So there you go. So that'll be Movies First Edition 12 if you're going hunting for it. Very good, very good. And so anyway, it was in a Broadway show before it was turned into the movie six years later. They dropped three of the original songs for the movie and wrote a couple of others. It was made by 20th Century Fox. The the studio, by the way, was on the verge of bankruptcy before The Sound of Music rescued it. And it was the third highest grossing movie of all time when adjusted for inflation. Isn't that amazing? It's incredibly popular. What do you reckon's number number one? Adjusted for inflation? Yeah. Movies or musicals? Movies. Movies. I mean, because you could say The Sound of the Music is the highest grossing movie musical of all time. Absolutely. It will probably... I'll say Gone with the Wind would still be number one adjusted for inflation. Gone with the Wind. If you are looking at it as an individual movie, absolutely Gone with the Wind. If you are looking at it it as a collective, Star Wars, right? The first three Star Wars movies. But I reckon that's cheating because, you know, three movies naturally would be number one place. So Mm. if you discount that, Gone with the Wind, Sound of Music. Very, very good. So, I and I reckon this is where it's so, you know, when people say, oh, this is taking a billion dollars at the box office. Well, yeah, but, I mean, we're, we're living 100 years after they were making earlier movies, so we really do need to adjust it for inflation to get a true offering. And that's where I, I, I think at times we'll take anything and, and the people who make the movies will claim anything. Anyway, a full busload of tourists slapped up every word of the Sound of Music tour that the highly knowledgeable David from England imparted during the tour. And I I thought it was really great, most enjoyable, and especially because, well, I mean, the tour had been operating since 67, and it was nice to be able to do something, well, 50 years after the movie, because it was the 50th anniversary when we were there. So 50th anniversary of the movie. So it was great. And our longest and most memorable stop on this tour was at the town of Monsey in the Lake and Mountain District and the church there. The church there is where the captain and Maria were married in the movie. So there you go. We went, in, we, we went to the church that, that they were married in and when the guide was not speaking, we were treated to songs from the movie on a CD and invited <laughs> to sing along, Chris. Did you sing along? I don't sing well, but I did. So, you know, stray cats, it was, it, was, it was winter. There weren't too many of them, so it was fine. It was safe. Um, my wife told me to shut up a few times, but I still sang. So that was great. And we, we did this in the morning. Our, our tour finished uh, at 1.30. We ended up at the Mirabel Gardens, which is a feature of Salzburg, particularly during the warmer months when you could appreciate its Baroque-style architecture. These are the Mirabel Gardens with a fountain in the middle of it surrounded by seasonal flowers. We also, that afternoon, visited the birthplace of Mozart, which is a striking yellow building at, now I'm going to try and pronounce this, number nine, Getrid Gasa. Gasa simply means a narrow street. So Getrid Gasa, that's probably better, at number nine, Getrid Gasa in Salzburg. And it, there's a private museum there, by the way, it gives you an insight into Mozart and the love of his life, along with his parents, his children and his sister. And people tend to forget Mozart only lived until the age of 35. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a such brilliant, brilliant man. 
but his musical genius made him really second to none when it came to creativity and output. And he did that all before the age of 35. Amazing. We spent about an hour or more in the museum and thought it was splendid, a really great thing to do. I mean, you can't, surely you can't go to Salzburg without being influenced by Mozart and his music. And we then went back up the funicular up the mountain to visit the museum there that I I spoke about earlier. And, uh, I mean... Yeah, I, I just thought that was probably one of the highlights, going up the funicular railway and then seeing the, the, the castle up the top, so or the fortress up the top. We um so that was that was our you know, our day. It was a really, really full day. And then the following morning we basically were there only for a short time. That was when we took our third funicular trip up the mountain and uh, then we returned to our hotel and soon after midday we well, we were back on the central railway station in Salzburg, and we were catching a Vienna-bound train. So we again passed through Linz, uh, and uh, just to, as we had when we made our way from Prague to Salzburg on our way to Vienna. But I think that's probably a, a reasonable place to to leave it. So, safe to say, Salzburg is a mighty, spectacular, and cultural city. The snow was a huge treat for us in winter. We'd never seen a white covering like it, and I would go back there in a heartbeat. Beautiful, beautiful city of Salzburg. Salzburg in Austria, today's topic on travel first, and next when we join you, it will be Vienna and potentially other points as well. Alex, first, always good to have a chat with you about places far far flung. And well, likewise, Chris, and I always enjoy chatting with you. Enjoy your week, and we'll do it all again. You've been listening to Travel First. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.